Hello and welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. I'm Dom Conlon and in this, in this episode I'll be learning about inspections, specifically about how clinical audit helps with them. I have two guests with me today. One has been here before whilst the other is entirely new to the experience, but I'm sure both of them will feel like old friends once we get chatting. So welcome first to Angela Ward. Angela is a clinical auditor and nice lead at Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust. She's worked in both acute and community NHS trust and has helped engage staff with using clinical audit for quality improvement. She's coordinated local audit plans, managed national project participation, promoted audit for accreditation and managed nice compliance evidence. And welcome back to Stuart Metcalf. Stuart is the clinical audit and effectiveness manager at University Hospitals Bristol and Western. He's familiar to many in the world of clinical audit, chairing panels and speaking about the benefits of data-driven improvement, as well as coordinating his own team at Bristol and Western. He also kindly and very effectively chaired the 2022 clinical audit conference. I think for the most part, that when we talk about inspections, we talk about this care quality commission. And of course, clinical audit is just one part of the assessment process, which CQC facilitates. But Stuart, could you perhaps give us a whistle-stop tour of inspections? What's involved and what do they cover in general? Gore, blimey, Dom, how many have you got? <laughs> um, firstly, thank you very much for the kind introduction. Um, so uh, inspections in their entirety. Um, I mean, I guess the first point to note is that the CQC are moving to a new, uh, they call it single assessment framework, um so the things that we the know and that we know and love the chloe's etc will still remain but they are they are having to change the way that they inspect and they operate um and therefore i guess we have to change as well um there'll still be the um you know the the on-site inspections um so i mean we could do another podcast on the logistics behind those if anyone is keen to know the best well 10 top tips maybe for uh for how to please your cqc inspectors maybe another maybe another podcast but um in the majority it's you know it, it's it's uh, being prepared it's um it's keeping them happy it's it's being open and honest it's about engaging other staff in that inspection process when they come in um but again that's just the on-site inspection process nowadays they look at all sorts of information that is available to them as it as it is to other trusts and our trust so they'll look at um their cqc insight reports um the data they hold they hold on trusts um and importantly what we know what they know about us um so outside of the outside of the sort of traditional inspections it's it's more um it's more about using other data and other sources of information to help them guide their um their regulatory approach i suppose um sorry that was a sort of rambling nutshell that was, that was absolutely thing. excellent as usual i mean i'm i'm from an acute from an acute trust of course um it, their approach will vary on their sector that they're looking at. But uh, yeah, Angela, your experiences. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Most of my experience is actually from the acute side as well. But I've also seen the CQC come in and actually visit because of what a national audit result has said, or you've got higher than normal expected levels of bacteremias, you know, the national, the 
mandatory reportable stuff. So the evidence and inspections do tend to just go hand in hand. It's just how you collect the data. So how do you begin preparing for this? Um, well, I suppose when you get the notification they're coming in, it is a massive data trawl to see what information you've got. Um, most trusts will have um, databases on what audits they've done, sequins, quality improvement projects. They'll have the normal reportable figures, things like that. If it's an inspection that's been triggered because of a certain topic, then we can actually narrow that down in that database as well. So if they're coming in, say, because sepsis has been a concern in the trust, we can go and look at what we've done regarding sepsis, deterioration of patients, things like that, and actually get that evidence together, ready to present to the CQC. Absolutely agree. I mean, they will, yeah, so no longer do you have the sort of one-year inspection when they review a whole service it's about intelligence and i think that's the word we need to we need to sort of bear in mind it's it's data intelligence is about and from our for me from my point of view it's about knowing do we know what they know before and i don't mean i don't mean the cqc they are in a nasty they i just mean do we do are we aware of our issues through what intelligence we have right so that before they do you know, we need to be we need to be aware of the things. Lots of it comes from um, national audits. That will be an indicator. Um, sequins, as Angela says, all those all those sort of all those bits of data, that rich data that they have, uh, patient experience, all sorts of stuff, will guide will guide them to their inspections, along with other 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 things that might trigger risks. So yeah, and also there's you know there's ongoing discussions with them so it's 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 moving away from that from that sort of one approach to more more approaches so let me just yeah. quickly pick up on this uh, something that you mentioned just slightly earlier the new single assessment framework so what what is that and what how's that changed uh, from what it used to be and then i'll throw one more thing in what's the impact so it is and the best place you can go to is the CQC uh, webpage, the single assessment section, to find out exactly how they phrase things. Um, but it it is broadly a similar framework as to what we have. So there will still be the CQC will still be looking at safety, effectiveness, etc. The Chloe's as they are. I think the major change the major change to appreciate is is this change to we statements. Um, so sitting below, um, and Angela, please do do get involved in this bit in, in terms of the technicalities, sitting below the Chloe's um, are we statements. Um, I'm looking at the, at the site at the moment um, just to see what they, uh, what they actually constitute. There seems to be a focus on quality statements in it as well. So it's a bit more like a peer review process rather than a come in and inspect. Oh, right. uh, so it's all about how we would evidence against these. So, for example, um, if we wanted to look at responsive Chloe, we could look at sort of like how patients receive personalised cares, 
that is responsive for their needs. So we would put in evidence like we do this, we evidence it via that that sort of process. It's a different focus. It's it's that it's that we it's that sort of I and sitting above the we the we statements as part of the wider thing are I statements in terms of trust and how and how patients want to be. Um, I'm just looking at safe now, so Chloe's will remain as we say, but there are quality statements they will use to assess quality. So looking here, learning culture. So what they're asking here. We have a we have a proactive and positive culture of safety based on openness and honesty, in which concerns about safety are listened to, safety events are investigated and reported thoroughly, and lessons are learned to continue to identify and embed good practices. Next one, safe systems, pathways and transitions. We work with people and our partners to establish and maintain safe systems of care in which safety is managed, monitored and assured. We ensure con uh, continuity of care, including when people move between different services. So those, it's their essentially their assessment criteria, which is our assessment criteria. Right. Um, and depending how trusts operate their regulatory processes, I know in our trust we have, uh, so we will, we will self-assess ourselves for each individual service that the CQC recognises services, so, you know, medical care, surgical care, urgent emergency, etc., We'll 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 do a, an assessment against the Chloe's. Now it won't be particularly individual going down to that to that level of detail, but it's asking the same questions. How do you assure you're safe? What do you know? What do you know you're safe? How do you know you're effective? So it, it essentially it's not a massive change. It's just maybe a maybe a change in the questions that are asked and in terms of the regulatory framework their ability to do other other things and not just rely on that physical inspection type of thing. Right. And I suppose so, this is exactly where the, the role of audit is, is strongest, isn't it? It's what plays its part yeah. now in you gathering evidence and things like that. I wonder if you could talk about that in a little bit more detail and about managing evidence and how much of the traditional audit that they're interested in. Um, yeah. So realistically, each trust should have their audit plan based on what the service needs to evidence, where inspections have highlighted any concerns before. Um, they should include opportunities for quality improvement, all of that good stuff. So every year we set that audit programme and we should be benchmarking against the Chloe's anyway. Right. And it should form part of your quality account and your quality KPIs for the following year. And that's also something the CQC will look at, whether or not we're doing what we are saying we're going to do. Andrew, just picking up on that, how, how do you, so you, are you self-assessing, benchmarking against, how are you benchmarking against Chloe's? I'm interested in that sort of side of things. Yeah, so every audit, um, as part of our registration, we ask them to, state what Chloe's they think the audit goes against and and then we pick out individual questions as well and will also um yeah so it's mainly that benchmarking the questions against the Chloe's and the audit itself against the Chloe's and that way we can if we do have a concern about the safety of a service we can pull out the audits just from that one simple search rather than having to trawl through that all the services stuff. Is that the same for you, Stuart? Is that, that yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm 
whether we tag them or not. I'm just trying to think. There is the ability to, I mean, we use AMET, there is the ability to do that in that, but any, I mean, even before that, I think we, I think we tagged audits to to services rather than the actual clothes themselves. So, for example, we've got a division of specialised services, which actually is part in CQC speak medicine and surgery. So you've got cardiac surgery, which in CQC speak forms part of surgery, but then cardiology, oncology, hematology form part of medical care. So I think we we sort of aligned our thing our things like that rather than focusing specifically on the clothes. Um, but yeah, actually, I'm just thinking how we register audits. Yeah, we will tag them with safe, effective. Yeah, however it may be. So you're right. We can we can draw that out if you want. I'm interested in the difference between sort of traditional audit and and the sort of ongoing warden area audit type thing. So. I'm just looking at our um, our sort of last uh, data request as part of as part of a, um, an unannounced inspection. So it's things like uh, news and those sort of ward areas that may sit outside a traditional sort of audit program because they're a condensed part piece of work generally managed by a nursing team or a, or another team. Uh, rather than part of your clinical audit team per se, but it's still good to have them on the books, as it were. Whether you, whether you take them through whatever clinical audit governance processes you have, or whether whether that's that's lighter than that. So I'd be, I'd be interested in how you how you sort of deal with those. Uh, Angela, are they are they is everything sort of through your team, or there's lots of audits out there that sort of how do you how do you how do you sort of tie it all together? We do include those monitoring audits um, in the audit plan um, because where I am at the moment in a community trust, we've got different directorates. um, So each directorate has got an audit plan, but anything like the IPC, resource, deteriorating patient, pharmacy audits, they'll have their own audit plan. So what we will do is we'll tack their audit plan onto ours. So we'll actually say these audits are run by someone outside the directorate, but you will be expected to participate. You will be expected to action any results, things like that. Um, And then centrally, we will hold the master audit plan, which is everything. Um, Back when I worked in my previous trust, which was an acute one, those services like Resus IPC Pharmacy, again, would have their own audit plan, but they would manage it so it wouldn't go on to the speciality audit plans like cardiologies or emergency medicine. So it's all about how you hold that data centrally and just being able to access it. Yeah. Are you, are you able to bring that all together or sort of when the CQC turn up, do you um, do you have to, like a bit like I do, go, ah, oh, well, I know there's a bunch of pharmacy audits over there, so I need to go out to that or can you neatly press a button and say yeah this is everything to do with all it the cqc would want to know traditionally it's all held on spreadsheets yeah, um, spreadsheet. yeah. um the trust i'm working in at the moment is moving across to amat so yeah. that will help yeah. a lot because you can tag the specific types of audit um 
but our audit plans will still be centrally held. So it's just making sure that you go out and speak to those people. I find it prudent to actually go and have monthly reviews with other directorates or other services. So we actually keep that up to date and we make sure that we've got all that information stored centrally as well, instead of the big mass panic when you need something and you have to go out to four or five or more different services. Yeah, I I think it's about bringing things under one umbrella rather than your audit team having to manage everything. You know, so we know we use another system, Perfect Ward, um, to do a lot of audits in terms of inpatient, deteriorating patient, um, some pharmacy audits, you know, those sort of things. We're also moving toward accreditation. Now, I know that. So when the CQC turn up, I know that it's logged. But I don't necessarily need to know any more than that. I know I know who to go to. So it's just about, I guess it's just about anything. It's about being in the centre to gather information together, whether it be on one system or all systems. It's just nice to have a list of everyone that's doing anything audit-related, I suppose. And then and then you dig into that. If it's, if it's on one system, it is. If it isn't, you know who to go to. It's also keeping that list of contacts up to date because people do move on and I found that before. Absolutely, people move on. And does the, um, does the sorry, do you want to just chip in here with the the technology side of things? That's 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 interesting. What you're both saying about how you're using systems to prepare yourselves does that then translate through to the CQC? Do they use systems that communicate with you that you can easily pass information across, or is there any kind of improvements that you could see there? In terms in terms of the inspection process and whatever lead up or lead down you have after it. Um, actually, they are um, they have a portal, so they have a secure portal, so you gather your evidence. Oh. Generally, you will get an, an evidence bundle. So again, I'm looking at I'm looking at our latest one now, which is 36 individual uh, bits of information that they want. I say bits because some of them sort of go into other stuff. So it's it's the stuff we all know and love, delayed discharges, how many times we're on April 3, 4, you know, what's your staffing ratios, what are your news audits telling you, what are your what are your quality governance minutes agendas saying, all those sort of things. So um, in terms of that, they send it through a spreadsheet. Um, you go through it generally, and again, this is just my process, you sort of identify and finger who you could get the information from, whether they know it or not. They will do when you send it to them. Um, and then you work out whether you've got the right person or not, and then you bring it all together, and you send it securely through their portal. So in terms of uh, yeah, yeah. in terms of an upload process, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. You know, it, but it's it, you know it's the nature of gathering everything. It's as good in a spreadsheet as putting it in anything else, um, frankly. Uh, and I've I've done a few inspections over the years, and they've had various spreadsheets and various bits and bobs. Um, but actually, what you end up doing is putting it into the best, the most suitable thing that works for you, and that generally does seem to be on this sense. In terms of the in terms of the information request side of things, actually, an Excel spreadsheet is as good as. Yeah. I can't imagine any other way to do it, Angela. I mean, you may well differ. No, it, they ask for so much information and it's either we have to put all that information into 
a portal regularly or we do that tranche update and to be honest the spreadsheet works the best way at the moment it's one way it could probably get better is being able to pull the data from the national audits in more real time rather than getting them a year later or data them picking up on data a year later but again that's only as good as the national audit systems that are out there and other forms yeah, that's no, that's a fair point. And don't forget, they will have that in the background. So it's probably where if you're getting a getting a request for your last, you know, for example, um, uh, emergency laparotomy audit data or something like that, it might be that they can't find it. But generally, I have seen over the years. So I was thinking about the first inspection I sort of properly did was about 2016. Um, and that was in the sense that there was a proper big inspection, so it was a whole trust. So about 276 individual bits of information Gosh. Um, covering the whole trust. And, and thankfully, that has moved, okay, we've still got an information request, but compared to what it was, it's much less bother. And it's the stuff that you, you, know, you should have your minutes for your clinical... Yeah governance group or whatever to hand anyway so the, so over the years I guess what struck me as I've done them is how much I already know exactly where it is because we do it and I know where it is this is audit and other stuff um, and again they're moving away from doing those big data requests into us and using and getting better at the intelligence they can gather outside of us having to provide it and that relies on the CQC to well and and the NHS and HGRIP and uh, NHS England to um, to better use national data and make it more appropriate for them to use as well as us which sort of ties back into the old debate about you know national audit data being out of date by the time anyone's seen it type thing which I will not bring up here I can come up with another podcast yeah that is definitely a completely different one two podcasts there you go straight off the bat you're a richer seam of 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 gold Stuart (laughs) Uh, do you feel um guided in the action planning stage of the process and do you get partnered with other organizations to help with improvement um, I've never been partnered with another organisation. That, that's actually quite an interesting idea because if you are needing help with something, going to an organisation that is doing better is always a good idea and getting some help and assistance that way. Um, but, yeah, with actions in the trust I'm working in at the moment, we've got quite a well-embedded quality improvement team that will help lead and guide on the actions. Um, the CQC recommendations normally give you a good starting point, but it is up to the organisation to actually come up with the actual actions themselves and monitor how those a- actions are carried out. Would that be the interim report? Do they do? They do an interim report, don't they? You do. You get a you get a draft report that you um, right. that you fac, uh, do fac accuracy on um, before it goes back to them, and then and then they and then they will publish. It's it's an interesting. I mean. It's an interesting thought. Some recommendations will be very individual to trust because of the nature of whether they be, whatever Chloe they be related to. Um, but some recommendations will be more about system working. You know, so if, if a trust is getting pulled up on their four-hour waits or ambulance queues times, it's probably not because they're not trying to do everything they can about it. 
it's because the system isn't working yeah. and the Sikhis here are aware of that, you know. Um, so it completely depends on the recommendations. If there are recommendations that pop into that sphere of we need to work with system partners, then I'd expect our trust and execs to, to, and our divisional leaders to, to be doing that, to, to come up with an action that tries to improve the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, in terms of closer working, interestingly, we've started to work um, closely in terms of regulatory framework within our organisation and how, how we deal with regulations and things like that um, in terms of CQC and sort of floating ideas between two trusts to say, to sort of have the same approach to um, to reviewing and looking at the issues. So I'd heartfully definitely recommend, you know, if you've got a, a neighbouring trust, because everyone will have their own internal ways of doing things. It's like everyone has their internal ways for governance. Yeah. Very good governance, you know, everyone has to do something differently. Um, but the fact is we all do the same thing. The outcome is essentially the same. How you get there is sort of up to you. But if you can, if everyone can get there in a sort of more broadly the same way, then that's probably beneficial to everyone. I would have thought. Um, but it takes people to do that, and it takes you know, it's, it's sometimes hard work working with another organisation that think differently. You know, mm-hmm. and again, Angela mentioned it earlier with those big sort of the big sort of initiatives, those real drivers that that pop up in CQC, uh, CQC sort of sense. Absolutely, your your sort of transformation teams, your your QI teams outside of audit, um, uh, link into that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a lot of work going on in ICSs at the moment um, that is encouraging cross trust mm. working. So yeah. previously, I worked at Frimley Health, which was part of Frimley ICS. So that included the two acute hospitals, the community trust, social services, everything involved in that. Yeah. Well, I'm working at the moment now, we've got Bob, the Berkshire, Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire one. They're just starting to bring all that in. So we're seeing a lot more pathway working between the acute hospital, community hospital, primary care providers. And we're all getting together and actually looking at the process from start to finish and how we can improve it and actually audit across those pathways as well. Mm. So we're starting to see more audits, which will start off in acute and then move into community and then back into primary care, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Stroke's been doing it for years. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. So we, we very rarely, holding my hat up, we don't get that many audits through pathways from their entirety. It's very much, I, I hate to use the word silos because it, it's not necessarily, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's very much about the care in that individual bit. Okay, we're pretty good at across specialties, but in or and out of primary, secondary care, um, we're not great. And you're right, the, the, strokes of, the, stroke, the stroke national audit actually is a very good, uh, along with the hip fracture audit, it's, it's, it's one that crosses pathways a bit um, and does allow that sort of engagement with commissioners when you when you when you aren't performing as you should be, which is what the CQC might find. You know, so again, it goes back to them having that data and to to decide how they how they want to um, uh, how they want to review services. Okay, so here's a question now. Here's the, uh, the magic wand question. You can change one thing, one thing about inspections. What would it be? Angela, you go first. 
I'm a bit of a fan of doing individual speciality or pathway inspections rather than the whole trust at once. Um, data becomes more manageable. You can look at it a lot better. Um, and it allows you to dedicate more time to it, especially if you're bored. If you've got sort of like 30, 40 specialties all being inspected at once and you're having to try and manage all that QI, all that audit, all that data, something's got to give. So mm. if you do it more, break it down into bite-sized bits, you're actually going to get better QI, QI out of it. You're going to get better accreditation. That's my personal feeling. Mm. Stuart would probably have a different viewpoint. <laughs> No, 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 not at all. I'd, I'd, I'd take that on board, absolutely. I think for the one the one thing that would make a massive difference to me in terms of inspections, um, I appreciate we've moved from the sort of old uh, three months or a month's notice and a big PIR and things like that to more responsive. Um, but I would implore the CQC that can we at least have 24 hours notice. Um, and that's not to tidy things up specifically or going to make massive change. It's purely for the people like me that deal with the logistics of trying to organise rooms and focus groups and stuff on the day, um, that just a little bit more notice would be very much appreciated. Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. Right, I think we'll wrap up there um, because I think uh, our time's run out. Uh, Thanks to both of you, Angela and Stuart, for your time today and for your... Uh, insight into into how this process works. I'm learning every time I do one of these podcasts. And if anybody out there would like to join me on a future episode, if you've got an idea, Stuart's got tons of them, so he'll be here <laughs> for the foreseeable future, I think. Particularly uh, <laughs> good. Then simply email podcast at amat.co.uk. It's a platform for absolutely anybody involved in clinical audit to come. You don't have to be a, an AMAT user. It's just if you're involved in the process of uh, clinical audit or quality improvement then come and talk to me and as ever subscribe and share wherever you can thanks for listening to everybody mm-hmm.